what I want to do is something that was mentioned on Roland Martin by a counselor who was on his show, Robin May, who said that no matter if you have 500 followers, 5,000 followers, 5 million followers, it's our responsibility to elevate the conversation. And that's what I want to do today. I can't even judge Chris or Jada or Will. Like whenever I get ready to judge someone else, there's a small still voice inside of me. My spirit gets ruffled up. It says, no, no, no. He who has not sinned cast the first stone. I've been Chris. I have been Jada. I've been Will. Work and life harmony. It's not only about work-life balance. I think that's what everybody thinks when I mention that. It's part of it, but it's also about harmony within yourself, harmony in your career, and doing the things that you love. And then it's also about creating harmony in the workplace between coworkers and leaders and leaders being able to create harmony. And ultimately, it's about creating harmony that goes out into the world. Welcome to another episode of Work and Life Harmony. I am Coach Kim Betty. And in full disclosure, I was a little bit or a lot <laughs> leery about the topic that I'm going to address today. I am calling it first count to 10. And it is prompted by the media blast of what happened at the Oscars with Chris Rock, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Will Smith. And I'm leery because of a few reasons. I'm leery because some people are sick and tired of hearing about it. And they say that there's a lot more important things to talk about that are going on in the world. Um, I'm sick and tired of it from certain perspectives myself. However, what I want to do is something that was mentioned on Roland Martin by a counselor who was on his show, Robin May, who said that no matter if you have 500 followers, 5,000 followers, 5 million followers, it's our responsibility to elevate the conversation. And that's what I want to do today. I can't even judge Chris or Jada or Will. Like whenever I get ready to judge someone else, there's a small still voice inside of me. My spirit gets ruffled up that says, no, no, no. He who has not sinned cast the first stone. And so, you know, it was ironic because I go to e-church with T.D. Jakes on Sundays from my apartment in California and his church in, in, in Texas. But 
that was his sermon, basically. That was the essence of the foundation of his sermon. And I was like, yes, you know, and I think it was because he had Denzel Washington in his international leadership conference this past weekend. And he had a conversation with Denzel that a lot of you have heard in which Denzel Washington says he prayed with, with uh, Will Smith during the Oscar debacle. And he says that he's not going to say what he talked about behind the scenes, but he does say there, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go any of us. And immediately what went through my mind was, oh, man, I've been Chris. I've said insensitive things to someone unintentionally, or sometimes we do it intentionally because we have whatever issues with them. I've been Jada and someone says something to me in my body language that then prompts others to go into a rescue mode if I want that or not. I've been Chris. I have been Jada. I've been Will. You know, I do a lot of talks on emotional intelligence. I have been to Detroit Public Schools. Those of you who know I'm from Detroit, I've gone and talked to middle school students in Detroit. I have spoken to students in vocational programs who have recently gotten out of prison and cannot afford to have another strike. And I talk about emotional intelligence and managing oneself in the work world and with my clients. Emotional intelligence is being aware of your own emotions, self-awareness. It's being prepared to manage your own emotions and your own hot buttons. And it is being aware of others' emotions, either by a natural propensity to be able to do that or that you learn how to do it. And then managing those hot buttons of others in relationships so that you don't exasperate them. And I can say I've been, been well, and I've come a long way there before the grace of God go I, because I can remember when I was 10, no, I was in high school. I would say I was in my sophomore year and a few of my best friends will know this. I'm going to show you from where I came to where I am now. And the moral of the story is if I can, you can. Everyone, not judging will, but I believe there's hope. There's hope for us all. So picture this, I'm in high school and I am, I'm from Detroit. And the neighborhood that I grew up in was different than the high school that I went to. I was, I caught a bus or a car, I wasn't bust, but we caught bus car and got a ride to a high school, Cast Tech. And it was far away from my neighborhood. And we were just serious about school and academics and um, extracurricular activities. And it was a very peaceful, calm school for the most part. You know what I mean? I mean we were still kids. But the neighborhood that I grew up in, we had a code of uh, conduct, if you will. 
and that neighborhood in Detroit. Uh, I grew up Seven Mile, Wyoming. If you, if you are not from Detroit, you know about Eminem and Eight Mile. I'm on Seven Mile. And we grew up with, if you disrespect me, then I must do something. You do not disrespect. As soon as I hear the word disrespect, like it courses through my veins. And so I had to balance my neighborhood where I grew up and my father who had a horrific temper. Like when Will Smith said, keep my wife's name out your bleeping mouth, I would, the look on his face was the look that my dad would have when my brother's friends would say something that he felt disrespected and he would tell them to get out of his effing house and put them out the house. We could be in the middle of dinner, Thanksgiving, sitting around chit-chatting. So I grew up in a neighborhood, grew up in a household, and now I'm with this high school who's peace and calm, and we're in the girls' bathroom, and a girl who was a bit of a, I don't want to say bully, but she did bully. She came up to me, and she had done said a lot of things. She liked my friends, and for some reason didn't like me as much. And so she came up to me in the girl's bathroom and she said and had a piece of paper, a white piece of, you know, like lined paper and said, you're, you're as white as this paper. You're like white. She was a beautiful brown skin. And my girlfriends that were standing around had beautiful brown skin. And she was telling me that I was as white as this paper, flicking it in my face. Now you could think, so what? She said that, right? But for me, you'd have to know my sensitivities and me being a black woman and what that meant for me and my complexion. And at the time I had long hair and the association with being light skinned and long hair versus brown skin and having thicker hair and all this stuff, right? And when she said that, dad, neighborhood. So I took my foot and I swept it out from under her and she immediately fell in the woman's bathroom, fell down on the ground. And I'm pretty sure I was standing over her telling her what I could do to her right then or what I would do to her if she ever said anything like that to me again. Let's say I'm 15, 16. And so when that happened, I immediately thought, oh, when everybody was like, what if? Chris Rock would have fell and hit himself or hurt himself or died or, you know, everybody went there. I'm like, what if I would have hit that girl and tripped her feet rather out from under her and she would have hit her head on the back of the, the concrete floor or the, um, the counter or the sink? Or what if somebody would have reported it? I could have gotten expelled. I could have went to jail. And so to spare you the details, I didn't get in a lot of fights. I probably had, that was the last final fight that I was in. I think I had two when I was in elementary school, one defending myself and the other one, a boy was smooching my booty and I got tired of it. So I socked him. The point is I had to learn to control myself. And I have a sister of mine who shares my temperament. And she told me, not a good look, boo, get it together. And I did get it together. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's a Bible verse that I love. Also, 
as I studied to become a coach, I went to a Christian counseling program, Spring Arbor University, and I worked on myself as I was learning techniques to figure out what triggered me and how I could have self-control. I see my clients every day making the mistake that Chris made. Leaders who own businesses, who feel that they could be able to say whatever they want to say oftentimes, say insensitive things and really hurt people's feelings. And sometimes the team is like Jada, like they're not even really talking to you. Oftentimes who the leader is actually talking to, they're oblivious. And then somebody else thinks that they're talking about them and they get hurt. Or maybe they, the person does know they're talking about them. And then in the meeting, they roll their eyes or they sulk their head or they say a little bit of passive aggressive comment. And now the peer, the clique around them is enraged and upset and now they're mad. That could be why your team is mad at you right now because you hurt the feelings of someone who's an influencer in your organization and everybody wants to help that wounded person. Rightfully so, they could be wounded because you could have said the wrong thing. You shouldn't have said it there and then and how you did. And now everybody else is up in an uproar. I see that all the time. And I definitely see people in my line of business as a coach that are enraged. No, they don't slap somebody, right? On stage or at work. But the things that they say with their words and their deeds and the things that they do in retaliation don't fit the crime. So I'm not judging. He who has not sinned cast the first stone. What I am suggesting is that like on Roland Martin, what Robin May said is that we must consistently do the work. And she said that we must become aware of our triggers. And I, before I leave you, I wanna give a tool to help us to all manage our emotions that we can use. And what's interesting about this tool, because what Robin May said was, you can't really do this in the moment. It has to be something that you have already done, you have to know your triggers. I'm gonna say know your triggers, do the work to understand what sets you off and how to not be so, um, uh, your wounds so open in those areas so that you can manage it. And then we have to have strategies. And one of the things that will help us first count to 10 is not count to 10 like you think. I mean, yes, of course, first count to 10 people. We hear people say count to 10, right? Count to 10 so you can calm down. The first thing that I say do though is count to 10 and figure out where you are in your emotions. See, we're not talking about condemning you on what you feel. You feel what you feel. We are talking about having the wherewithal to take it down a notch. So the first thing that I always tell myself and my clients is to first assess, where are you, right? And, I, and this works. I always say, first figure out what a 10 looks like, right? What is justifiable for your emotions to be a 10? And first of all, what do those emotions even look like? So let's just take the emotions of being mad. And that could be anywhere from being bothered, ruffled, 
uh, irritated, displeased, annoyed, steamed, irked, to perturbed, frustrated, fed up, disgusted, ticked off, fuming, to explosive, enraged, irate, outraged, and furious. And so when you look at what a 10 looks like based on those emotions, you could say something like, you know, someone broke into my house and they are about to attack my child, my wife, my husband. If that is a 10, then what is it when that person said what they said to you during the meeting yesterday compared to that? And most people say, a two. And I say, well, how are you feeling when it happened? A 10. <sighs> so the first thing that I always suggest is first look at what a 10 is to you and then learn to take yourself down a notch. It's not that you won't feel a 10, but ask yourself, is this 10 warranted for this situation? And take it down. And then you have to have strategies to take it down. Breathing, take a walk, certain music, meditation, a Bible verse, mine, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I also ask myself, like, what is my role in this matter if they're saying something to me? Or do they really mean to say what they're really saying? Or maybe it's just about them. It's not nothing to do with me. They're poor communication skills. So I can talk myself down. Go talk to a good friend. So that's one aspect of it. First count to 10 and assess where you are. And the other is, and this is the beautiful thing about it is, hopefully you can have a second chance. Hopefully the police aren't called and, or the girl in the bathroom doesn't fall and split her head open and you go to jail and you don't have that second chance. Or if you have it, it's years and years from then. If you have a second chance when you do become explosive or implosive, then you can ask yourself this and you can use a model called the truth model. As I mentioned before, I went to a Christian counseling program and there was a book called The Process and Practice of Christian Counseling. And the Christian counseling program that I went to and through was beautiful because it wasn't only about supporting Christians in their walk and you know in in their counseling and for me for coaching was what I plan to do with my education it's any one of any faith I say people of all faiths and no faith so it taught you how to integrate faith in if that's what a person wanted to do the truth model that I use is by Leslie Vernick and Chris Thurman and the truth is acronym t-r-u-t-h so like robin may on roland martin said we have to know our triggers what triggers us and then we have to be able to assess what level we were triggered to in our emotions now i do want to say this if i say a 10 is that someone's in my home and there could be attacking my family actually i had someone come into my home, a home invasion in the middle of the night, and I didn't know if they were attacking my family, my daughter, at one or two in the morning. I heard, mom, someone's in the house. And even then, I couldn't afford to be at a 10 
my heart was beating when I woke up. And of course, all those things, the fight, the flight, the freeze that happens when we're hijacked. I couldn't afford to fight because I could have made matters worse. I couldn't run and flee because my daughter's in the house and I couldn't afford to freeze. So I had to take it down a notch and do everything that I had ever learned to do. So you have to know your triggers, your hot buttons, things that will possibly come, what threatens you. A lot of you know I talk about the SWAT, right? Your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. This is a good moment to look at the threats and what will trigger you. And then once you know your triggers and you assess like the stages of your emotions, then we go to what is the reckless thinking that caused me last time to go off? That's why I say you always get a second chance because the more you do it, the more you get to practice. What happened? And then what was the unhealthy response or result? So T-R-U. And then once you've analyzed that, you keep a journal with that. Then you look at what is the truthful thinking. Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe it's something that I did. Maybe it's about them and it's not about me. Maybe they don't have communication skills. What's the truth? I can go handle this a different way. And then when you get to truthful thinking, you can have a healthy response and result. The truth will set us free. First, count to 10. 